you know, for me, it's always my spiritual practice is like ugly crying in the bathtub. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, bit, the most, the best thing that I do. You are listening to We Are The Stigma, a show about an addict husband and alcoholic wife challenging stigmas one at a time. We'll be chatting with like-minded individuals using honesty, open-mindedness, and humor. Thanks for listening. Our episodes deal with potentially triggering topics. We are not doctors and the opinions expressed are our own. If at any time you feel the need for support, please contact your local crisis center. For more information, visit wearethestigma.com slash resources. Hey guys, you're listening to We Are The Stigma. My name is Melissa. And as always, I'm joined by my husband and co-host, Cody Kreutz. What's happening? Hi, sweetheart. I got real close on the microphone. You did get real that. close. That's one of the reasons I brushed my teeth. I noticed that you didn't brush your teeth. So I would appreciate if you would stop, stop the episode. Go brush your teeth. So no, but how are you? I'm, do- I'm doing very well. Yeah. You know, I'm having some allergy spells. Story of, your, story of your life, yeah, man. But I'm doing great. I'm good. No good. complaints. Awesome. I'm well. The kids started school. Oh, dude. This last week has what been is like, that like, I mean, heaven, dude. Yeah. You don't even know. I mean, <laughs> when I was a stay at home mom to a baby nine months old, I dreamed of those days. <laughs> you were a stay at home dad to three children. So I only imagine that you dreamed, jumped of those days. I mean, I, ju- I told you last night, I, it's only been, this is the Four fifth days. day. Yeah. Like, and I don't know how I did it before. Yep. <laughs> like, it's only, like, I've adapted so much. I'm like, how did I do that? Yep. I have no clue. Yeah. And I think it was a lot of tears. Like, oh, you know, yeah. that, how you made it through. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tears. Of joy, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, emotional eating. Yeah, exactly. But you probably now understand why stay-at-home moms would become alcoholics. <laughs> I do. Like the mommy wine culture, yeah, exactly. right? No, and you fucking sure. get it. Yeah. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, but one of the topics we're talking about today is limiting beliefs and self-loathing, self-loathing yes. and which is just ooh, those are two anybody, big topics yeah, for us. If anybody follows any of us on social media, you'll know that this is basically what our whole lives kind of surround, surround, yeah. surround yeah. upon. Yeah. Just say it one more time. <laughs> I, can't, I couldn't I figure it out. Surround us? Yeah. Sure. What we go to, our yeah. home base, yeah, what we yeah, talk yeah. about a yeah. lot. And so when this interview lined up and we're so excited, um, we're talking to Kyra. Uh, she, Kyra I, Evans. Yep. Kyra Evan, Evans. I followed her on social media and then I again found her in a different on a different social media platform on accident or on you know qu- the the universe synchronicity synchronicity <laughs> and to me that was just like oh my god kid this this girl is going to mean something in your life yeah and no, she does it. and I relate to her content and she's a writer which you know I'm all about that I love it so much I love everything she does she's kind of like one of my um, expanders expanders yeah Thank yeah, yeah. so and, well what's so interesting like, too is like I you don't. You talk about people sometimes who I don't follow myself yeah. on, but Kyra's name kept coming up and mm-hmm. you kept talking about, it. you're like, it's Kyra girl. She's yeah. so rad. Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I love what, love her content, blah, blah. And then like one day I was just like, why aren't, why aren't I following her? Yeah. Like, I literally was like, I would like, Dude. cause you told me about her. I was like, I would like, I was stalking her page. I'm like, why am I not following you? This is so weird. So I just followed, we connected too. And I just felt the same way, you know, yeah. she's just super laid back in her and her, she has such easy to digest content content mm. and it's so in depth, but also just very, like I said, easy to read mm. and it makes so much sense. And so, yeah, it was just, it's all worked out really, really, really nicely. Well. So read her bio before we, and we can stop fangirling. Yes. 
fangirling. So Kyra Evans is an author, speaker, and self-empathy teacher. Her first book, The Dictionary of Limiting Beliefs, which we will definitely get into, and it's transforming your inner narrative to manifest a wholehearted life. It launched in June of this past year and has quickly been adopted by spiritual seekers, coaches, and therapists as a transformational personal development tool. Uh, Kyra lives in a cabin in the woods off of, I'm going to she can correct me right when she comes on Muskoka, Canada, Canada, Canada with her husband and daughter. Kyra. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi girl. Yeah. I mean, now that you know that we're obsessed with you, so <laughs> I hope you feel so comfortable. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm just like soaking it all up. I'm just in, in the glow of everything that you've said. That's so wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> no, good. I mean, it's, it's the truth. It's the truth. And so to, Ed, sorry, you, you told us before we started recording, can you just pronounce where, where you live again? Muskoka. 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 So did you grow up there? No, no. So I'm born and raised in Toronto, which is Canada's largest city. So I'm a city girl through and through, um, now transplanted into a little cabin in the woods. So that's been, that's been quite a time. (laughs) It was a bit of a transition, uh, relatively new still. Uh, So how long have you been there? How long have you been there? Uh, so it's, it's kind of blows my mind when I say it, but we've been here for four years now. Wow. Um, Yeah. We're not quitters. (laughs) We're like, even when all signs point to, uh, this may not work out. We're like, we're going to give it another shot, you know? So, uh, yeah. So, so go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. Sweetie. Well, you just, go ahead. Sweetie. <laughs> I was just going to say, so we hear, I mean, you hear about these, I'm quitting my life and I'm going to go move into a cabin in the woods. I'm going off the grid <laughs> as that commercial says. And I, uh, you probably don't have that commercial yeah, in Canada. Like, yeah. <laughs> so you're probably like, <laughs> cool, it sounds good. <laughs> anyway, you hear about this. And then to actually, when you sent over your topics, and this was one of the topics, I was just like, wait, what? Yeah, so I want to talk about this. Let's just, in a nutshell or or not, tell us the story about how this, how you became to live in the cabin in the woods. Yeah, for sure. So um, we were living in Toronto. And uh, like I said, I am a city girl. I'm born and raised in Toronto. I love it there. I would have happily lived there forever, but my husband and my daughter are country mice and Mm. they were very unhappy living in the city. And so I was outnumbered and (laughs) we wound up having the discussion. You know, my husband really wanted to move. And I said, I'll move wherever provided that we can find a really excellent school program for our daughter. So we were kind of standing in front of a map of Canada, like throwing darts. And uh, we wound up finding a school, an outdoor private elementary school program, two and a half hours north of where we were living at the time. So in Muskoka. And uh, we went up to visit and it was on like 270 acres of land. It was a summer camp in the summer and a private school outdoor program um, throughout the school year. They were like, you know, it's a student-led inquiry-based curriculum. Um, We're like a big homeschool. We're all like a big happy family. And uh, we were like, "Uh, where do I sign? Right. Yeah. (laughs) It just sounded like the absolute dream program for our daughter, given her personality in particular as well. And so it seemed like, you know, the right move. So at the time, private school was, was, you know, aspirational for us. So financially, we had to do some rejigging and we sold a bunch of stuff and packed up. 
and took a huge leap of faith and and uh, moved up here. And I really thought that we were signing up for this very peaceful, happy, pastoral, simple kind of life. Um, and pretty much as soon as we got boots on the ground, uh, the wheels fell off and everything went south. <laughs> like pretty much everything that could go wrong did go wrong. <laughs> so um, our first winter up here, we were renting a house. They had told us that it was a four season home, but it was actually a three season home. So oh, no. we were in a Canadian winter with no heat in the house. It heated to a maximum of nine degrees Celsius. Oh, so I'm gosh. not sure what that is in Fahrenheit, but very cold. So we were wearing parkas indoors. Um, we, uh, we realized pretty quickly that the locals here, you know, I thought that, um, we would be like surrounded by these very kind hearted, small town folks, but uh, as it turns out, the locals really hate everyone that's not from here that didn't oh, grow up here. Oh, geez. So yeah. And particularly people from Toronto, especially. So, oh, I've God. Been, <laughs> oh yeah. I, I've been told like, you don't belong here, go home. I've oh. been called a terrorist. Um, we, when we finally bought our cabin, uh, we had a flood that damaged a whole bunch of our furniture in our newly finished basement. After that flood, we then, our well ran dry. So we were without running water for three weeks. So no toilet, laundry, um, dishes, showers. And finally, um, it turned out that our daughter was being just torturously bullied Mm. at this school that we had placed her in. And, and the school was really, the foundation for the whole reason that we moved here. So we tried and tried to work with them to see, you know, what we could do to support her. And they were sort of unwilling to budge. And so finally we wound up having to pull her out of the school. And um, we basically got to the point where it was like, what have we done? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? Why are we here? Um, And it's interesting because that was, you know, not long before the pandemic hit. Um, And so that brought its own challenges with it as well. And uh, it, you know, as often happens in life, when the universe backs us into a corner in terms of our external circumstances, there's also an enormous opportunity for internal healing and growth. And, And I really believe that the universe is a compassionate force. And is really trying to, in, in, in allowing us to be triggered, um, is compassionately sort of bringing to the surface, pointing to the things that we need to heal in order mm. to evolve. And so that was really a beginning point for me um, where I just was like, okay, well, externally, everything is so out of control right now. And the only thing that I can have any control over if that is my own internal, you know, mindset and healing and well-being and spiritual growth. And so I just sort of set out on a path to like, (laughs) if you tell me this is going to make me feel better, I'm in, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to go to two therapists and I'm going to do Reiki and I'm going to look into human design and astrology and I'm going to listen to every podcast. I'm going to read all of the books and I'm going to train in this and that and, um, and I'm, you know, I'm happy to say that by the end of it, I've, I've learned a lot. And uh, that was essentially the basis for my book was sort of compiling everything that I learned during that sort of two-year odyssey. 
Wow, mm. good for you. Wow. I mean, I mean, shit really did fall apart for you. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Like that was that's pretty <laughs> that's, that's pretty bad. And then it's like you said, the culmination of like the whole reason you moved there. Your poor daughter, dude. I, I can't. I get like if I hear anything about bullying, I, it just breaks my heart, dude. And it's like, do you th- not? They we didn't don't put need, that in the brochure. We, yeah, we don't need to get too much into that because obviously that's your daughter. But was it a lot of it have to do with because she was from Toronto? Was it was all of that still permeating through even the the private school? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, And it was like, the school only had like 40 kids in it. So we, which we thought, and that's a K, pre-K to eight, only 40 kids. So we thought like, oh my gosh, smaller class sizes. Like, are you kidding me? This is going to be amazing. But as it turns out, there were just, um, there were some really bad apples at the school and just really quite a toxic environment. And you know, we kind of were saying to them, like, you said this was a big family, but like, I don't know what kind of family you come from. But right. like, this, is, this is not a family vibe here. Um, and so, yeah, and it definitely because everybody kind of had started at the school at the same age at pre-K and she was coming in new. Um, there was a big learning curve for her, you know, coming from the city and then going to an outdoor elementary school as much as she was pumped about it. There was a lot to learn. and. Um, yeah, just it, it wound up being a not at all what we thought it would be, wow. unfortunately, and um, really having to advocate for her and do whatever we could to just keep her safe. And I don't know about you guys, but if you have experienced any bullying, you know, yourself um, as a kid, then to watch your child go through oh, the same thing yeah. is just it's awful. And girls, oh, my gosh, the mean girl stuff is just like vicious yeah yeah real vicious uh, it's that's like yeah word. i mean it's like I, that's something that like our kids are just one of them's just getting into first grade and the other one just started um preschool and it's like i have to like because i was bullied a lot when i was a kid and a lot of that stuff has really stuck with me like i'll still I'm still triggered by it. I still have a lot of issues around it. And so I have to prevent myself from going down that path before it even happens. Like Mm -hmm. I, I have so much worry about my kids being bullied that like, I need to work on that because if they win, if, and you know, when they do start getting bullied, I'm going to be a mess. Like Mm -hmm. I need to start like, you know, centering myself Mm -hmm. and not future tripping. Cause then when it does happen, yeah. Like how can you best provide for them? Yeah, exactly. Um, what, I mean, you know what, that just goes to show that you just cannot judge a book by its cover because you hear the school, hippy dippy lovey lovey which is great i consider myself a hippy dippy lovey lovey person so i'm not saying that in a bad way but you just think yeah we're all one family it's this beautiful blah 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 and then they have just this toxic culture kind of going throughout the school and like more than anything i'm mad at the people who run the school for even telling you that this is a that, a good spot like, a good fit yeah. why do they want outsiders <laughs> yeah exactly you know like why would they they had to have known that People in M- Masoka, Masoka, Muskoka, Muskoka, yeah. Muskoka don't like people coming from Toronto. They had to know where you guys were coming from. I mean, it's just that's so sad. So sad. yeah, well, and it's it's interesting because we did find out after the fact that we're not the first family that this has happened to. Like, um, people in small towns are very tight lipped. Is mm-hmm. another thing that we've learned, um, and that's something for me for our whole family, I think we are not people who do well with the elephant in the room. Mm. Um, It tends to make us a little panicky and uneasy. I think justifiably so. And uh, small towns coming from a big city, you know, people talk about stuff, right? And um, in a small town, 
there's a lot of secrets and a lot of skeletons in the closet. And so when we were finally willing to start talking to people and say like, hey, this is the experience that we're having at this school. Like, what do you know about this place? Then there were other people in the town who were saying, oh, you should talk to so-and-so. You know, same thing happened to them. Wow. So what like a movie. Yeah, I keep thinking of the hill. The hills have eyes, even though it's not <laughs> oh, like that at all. Like a horror movie. Like, yeah, it's just like I mean, you come yeah. into this and you think it's yeah. going to be beautiful, and then yeah, like I haven't I, actually seen that movie. So yeah, I mean that's, that's not that's yes, that's a crazy movie. But I yeah, and I you know you think of anything. Ca- I mean, Cabin in the Woods. That was my first fear was murder. Um, so <laughs> to hear you not talk about murder, but to talk about you know yeah. this just a deep personal pain. I don't know. I mean murder of the soul kind of so how is it now i mean are you you i'm i assume you know your daughter goes to school or you homeschool her and then have you been able to kind of immerse yourself into the small town like make friends and or are you guys still kind of outcasts if you don't mind ask me asking yeah. So a um, little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, we, you know, it's interesting because the small town mentality is very much like we are in this club and we don't want you in our club. And once we sort of understood what the club was, we were like, fuck, we don't want to be, in, be your in, club, in your club, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't like you. So, <laughs> like, um, and But it was at some point sort of right around the time when things started to unravel. I really started seeking out, um, first of all, we found a theater program for our daughter and and drama, drama nerds, theater mm-hmm. kids tend to be all the same, very much have an experience of bullying and, and tend to be a kinder crowd. And so that's been really helpful for her. Um, I connected with our local paper has a feminist um, columnist and an LGBTQ plus um, columnist. So, which is, I mean, they, the the vitriol that they deal with on a regular basis is just unbelievable. But having connected with them and the local women's March, we wound up meeting um, a number of like-minded people. I wouldn't say a number, I would say a small handful of like-minded people. And then, you know, as it turned out, like the, the pandemic hit and suddenly it made a whole lot of sense to be living in a cabin in the woods. Right. And this was the silver lining. Like we have not had any real COVID risk. We've like, it's, it's been easy living for us this past little while. So that's beautiful. And as a fellow uh, theater kid, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah. The theater kid saved my life. Definitely. In, Aww. in high school and stuff. So I get it. You find, you find the people who are different and who will love you or different to society's standards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you did it as well. You found the, the columnists and the feminists and the things, pe- the humans that kind of are on the same Mind lit, mind wave wavelength, wavelength, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And so I think that's beautiful. I think that's beautiful. I think that's a whole lot of silver linings. So um, I have, so I have a question. To, I have two questions. One is, have you always, have you always been spiritual? Is that something that's always been a part of you, or is it something that, uh, you know, basically, when did that start? And then also, let's let's talk about. Um, hold on just one sec. Let's talk about how you had, you know, you said you went on this inward journey for like two years and it led to, you know, looking about looking at limiting beliefs and self-loathing. I really want to start diving into those topics too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 
I have I have a, a relatively interesting story spiritually, which is that my parents are um, hippie musicians. <laughs> And there was no God in the house um, until I was about eight, at which point they became um, super right-wing, born-again believers. So it went from um, zero to 100. Wow. And right in time for my adolescence, which is a really (laughs) special time. Perfect timing. (laughs) (laughs) It was really fun. Um, Lots of talk about virginity, of course, being a woman and, um, you know, your worth being pretty much wrapped up in that. And uh, and then, you know, as I sort of fizzled, I would say, in in my parents' um, life, fizzled out, it's hard to maintain that level of, you know, fundamentalism for too long. And as I became an adult myself and really started to examine my beliefs, um, I very much left that school of thought behind, was not at all spiritual for a number of years. Um, And then I think uh, sort of around maybe 2010, I started hearing about manifestation and about the secret and Mm -hmm. um, reading more, you know, the seven spiritual laws of success, lots of Deepak. My husband and I, one of our first dates that we ever went on, he took me to go see Deepak um, speak, which was just like completely blew my mind. And um, that really set me on a path towards a type of spirituality that worked for me, um, borrowing from a number of different teachers and, um, you know, schools of thought. So I think that in a way, the early fundamentalism sort of opened my mind or, or readied my palate to accept the idea that there is something beyond what we experience in, in the 3D. Um, and in uh, the fight to sort of leave that fundamentalism behind, because it is difficult to remove yourself from that um, you know, closed-minded sort of thinking, that then set me up to be very think critically um, and to really hold my spiritual beliefs closely and to really ask myself, what do I believe? And make sure that it makes sense to me rather than just ascribing to something that someone else is telling me is legit. Mm. Mm. And so with that, with that journey, it, it it took you, obviously it was really central for you when you were in your cabin and you were having, you know, to really go inward. What, what was, what was it about going inward that made you kind of identify, you know, how to soothe self-loathing, you know, limiting beliefs? Was that just a, a natural flow into, you know, writing the book and, you know, figuring out how to heal your inner critic, all of that? Yeah. So um, right around the time, same thing, you know, when everything was really falling apart, I was still um, the only sort of spiritual rhetoric really that I had heard about in terms of manifestation was still like the secret and that kind of thing. And I kind of was still wrapped up in this traditional law of attraction stuff where I was like, if I can just get my external circumstances dialed in, I'll feel way better. (laughs) (laughs) So I signed up for an online manifestation class and it was talking about the quantum physics of um, manifestation. Lots of super interesting information there. And the, the practices that they were teaching were primarily based in visualization. And so I am like a super school nerd. Like I have a ridiculous amount of willpower. And um, if you give me an assignment, I will carry it out and I will do it well. So I was doing everything that they had told me. And I noticed 
as I was practicing this visualization technique, I would like get into the zone. I would picture this situation that I was manifesting. And then this little voice would creep in and be like, but you're actually not good enough for that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Actually, you suck. (laughs) And I would be like, dude, like, who are you? Stop telling me. I just want to, you know, I just want to fix this. And so I asked the teachers in the group, like, okay, every time I do, I'm doing everything that you say, but every time I do this exercise, I keep hearing this little voice. And I really don't feel that I deserve what I want. And I think that that's the problem. And the teachers were like, don't worry about it. You're not the exception to the rule. Just keep visualizing. Mm. And I was like, I just don't think that that's the path for me. Instinctively, it just, it felt like there was more healing that I needed to do. And so that is really what set me off on the path of digging deeper um, and ultimately discovering things like to be magnetic, which was hugely transformative for me, their work. Um, It was that central nugget of the low self-worth and chronic, chronic, intense self-loathing that was the first thing that I knew that I needed to solve. And so that's where I really dug in and where the majority of my work has been. Mm. I love that because even just to to acknowledge that little voice that's telling you you're not worthy is a whole takes a whole lot of self-awareness. Like I don't know that I would have noticed that, mm. you know, maybe because my voices were always so loud and shouting so it wouldn't have been anything new coming up for me. But <laughs> I love that and I love that you know despite the teachers telling you it's okay. That'll go away. You still were like, no, you still continue to it's see. It's a block. It. Yeah, like, yeah. This is a block. I, I love it. And so in diving into that work, what are some ways, do you have any questions? No, no. It's What are it's some exactly ways that you ask. have learned to, to soothe self-loathing and to heal your inner critic? <laughs> I, I'm, I know there's just bags and bags to unpack there, but I'm all ears on this, by the yeah. way. So because <laughs> this yeah, is a central theme of my life for mm. sure. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, especially so for anyone who has been bullied and, um, and does, you know, consider themselves to be different in any way. Um, I am like a super introvert and a highly sensitive person and, um, like just excessively socially awkward. So I have plenty of stuff to loathe myself about. (laughs) So I had like lots of material that would go over and over in my mind. Right. Um, I think that what's important to know that, first of all, I'm really somebody who believes that we can't create a solution until we fully understand the problem. And I know that that, you know, it goes against a lot of what we've been taught in terms of certainly manifestation stuff. Um, You know, the think positive school of thought would say like, no, understanding the problem is focusing on the problem. You'll create more problems. And I just really don't believe that that that's the case. Maybe it is for some people, but for me, I really need to understand the mechanism of what's happening here before I can dive in and heal it. So self-loathing, in my opinion, is something that we do as a self-protective mechanism, um, which sounds counterintuitive, but I think that generally this is something that happens for people who grew up with caregivers who were maybe excessively critical nitpicky um certainly adult children of alcoholics this is a big thing because 
you're sort of always on edge, um, waiting to see what the mood is going to be. Um, highly sensitive people, again, even if you grew up in a really excellent, you know, household situation, if you're highly sensitive, you're going to pick up on any little nuance of distance or disapproval from people. And that's painful, right? Because when we're kids, we just want love and acceptance for who we authentically are. And when we don't receive that, um, we start to turn inward and try to figure out what's wrong with us before other people can. And I think that that's ultimately the genesis of where the self-loathing begins. So it's helpful to know that A, it is a protective mechanism and B, it's just a habit that we learned, you know, it's, it's not who we are. And that's, that was a big thing for me because I just thought that I was a person who was very critical and very hard mm. on myself and that that was just being a thinking human, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and I realized that that's not the case and it is actually something that you can unlearn, so to speak. Um, the other thing that's interesting to me as well is that there's, um, sort of our brain works in like a five-step process. So the first thing is that it picks up on cues from our environment and our emotions and our physicality and tries to interpret what they mean. And the second step is that it helps to create a map of how to fulfill the need. And then from there, it works on how do we generate the energy to get to where we need to go. The fourth step is that it identifies opportunities and uh, potential dangers And the fifth is that it's flexible enough to pivot according to new information. And so the system that I've developed, um, the practice that I developed to heal self-loathing for myself and that I now teach to people, which I call self-empathy, follows that five-step process and really starts the work in at the first stage because I think that's where it all goes wrong. We start to pick up the cues that we're picking up from our environment, our inward cues that are based on false information about how much we suck. <laughs> and then we create maps leading us to places where we shouldn't actually be going and everything goes haywire from there. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And so... <clears throat> Because it's so true. Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> I know my brain's like putting it all together. <laughs> yeah, me too. So can you, can you give an example of, so let's say like one of the things, if, like if I self-loathing for me, I, I, when I started getting older, it was generally, especially like a lot of mine really kicked in. Well, I shouldn't say that, but a lot kicked in after my addictions took me to places that I didn't want to go. And so mm-hmm. I would have, I became this person, this not like monster, but just a person I didn't even recognize who was hurting everyone. And, you know, for the longest time I'd already had self-loathing, but then that really made me feel like I was just a terrible person. So where would be Mm -hmm. something like, how would, how would someone who's, you know, dealing with a specific facet of like, let's say their, their mom always told them that they hated them growing up or that they, you know, they wish they never had them or something like that. What would be some steps that that person would take to kind of, you know, heal from that? Yeah, absolutely. So since everything, as I said, it all really starts with that first step of noticing and understanding the cues. And so for me, I wound up training as a mindfulness instructor um, because I really feel like the mindfulness, the present moment awareness is so 
critical at that first stage because we really need to do a wide-scale readjustment of the information that we're taking in about ourselves and the environment and how we process that. And so the the purpose of mindfulness and mindfulness, I'm sure, I mean, I'm positive your audience knows this already, but mindfulness, you know, separate from meditation, mindfulness is a practice that you can, you know, engage in while you're driving or while Mm. you're on a jog or you don't have to be meditating, which is, I love that because a lot of people have trouble sitting still for any length of time. Meditation kind of turns them off. But the purpose of mindfulness is is threefold. So the first is sensory clarity, which is really important for this, understanding what it is that you're experiencing at any given moment and how that shows up in your body. Um, The second is focus power, concentration power. So being able to choose what you're focusing on and thinking about and being able to sustain that for any length of time. And then the third is equanimity. So being able to just approach your life kind of with an open palm and not resist the bad things or cling to the good ones. And so the practice of mindfulness is so important at the first stage of this process because it's the awareness of the thoughts that you're thinking and the emotions that you have that we need to be really understanding in order to adjust them. So if someone um, is saying, If someone is aware enough to be saying, I know I struggle with self-loathing, I can trace it back to the fact that my mom used to tell me she wished I'd never been born. The good news is you're doing awesome already Mm -hmm. because there are so many people who are not even aware of those two things. So it really begins with an awareness of, of what is taking place. And the mindfulness as well with equanimity, you know, I'm a big believer in curiosity as a foundational spiritual tool. And so if we can get curious about our experience, um, we create a little bit of distance in which we can examine what is taking place inside of our mind and be more of an observer. That's really the crux of self-empathy that I teach um, because the empathy implies an other. Um, The trouble with self-loathing is that we're so close to ourselves that we find it really difficult to be compassionate to ourselves. There's no distance, right? It's like a bare-knuckle fist fight inside our mind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if we can learn to create that distance through curiosity and learn to view ourselves as um, a loved one to whom we can extend forgiveness and compassion, um, that's where that process really begins. Love it. Wow. It's, you know, and it's, it's true. It's like, it's so interesting for me to think about how many millions upon millions of people it's like, I don't want to say it's tragic, but it's heartbreaking who just Mm -hmm. never get that awareness to trying to start Mm -hmm. to heal themselves. You know, they just live their whole lives without any type of resources and, 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 and people talking in their ear, letting them know about this. It's just, it's, of course, all of this information is becoming so much more accessible and there's a lot more, you know, uh, of course, every year more people are teaching it and practicing it and that type of stuff. But still, it's such an, it's just to have so little awareness or to mm-hmm. not have awareness of why you are the way you are. I mean, I didn't have, I it, it, for the longest time, I mean, up until really recently, I had no idea that I even had limiting beliefs. I had, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I knew I hated myself, but I also didn't know I had a, a choice not to, Yeah, you know? And so it goes back to what uh, we were talking about a little bit earlier is that it just becomes who you are. Like, for example, I consider myself a forgetful person. Therefore I'm always going to forget stuff because it's part of my identity. And so 
self-loathing, self-hate was already was just who I was. It was just my identity, right? Yeah, and it was you're your so identity. identified with your yeah, thoughts, right? You don't the the beautiful thing about the process of limiting beliefs and and changing them and all of this is that it has to start all it really has to start with is a willingness. A willingness to be like, I don't want to feel like this anymore. You don't have to know why. You don't have to call them self-limiting beliefs. You don't have to call it self-loathing. You just have to say, I don't want to feel like this anymore. And then that's when this this discovery when can, the potential can start. There, yeah. And I love what you said about like curiosity, because that is just such a beautiful way to put the basis of spirituality, especially with you, Kyra. I can tell that you've just first of all, I could tell you've done your work because when you speak, I'm like, I just need to read what she's saying because it's just so, you just know what you're talking about. And, and it, I can really feel that. And I feel that passion come through, but you said that your whole spiritual practice is kind of pieces put together. And I imagine that's because you've remained curious. You've allowed yourself to explore these different facets of spirituality. And it reminded me a lot of Cody because there are some times when I'm like, well, maybe like Oracle decks or, you know, maybe, you know, uh, uh, like astrology, that kind of stuff. And if you're curious enough just to be like, I'm just going to peek under this and see, yeah, see what it does with an me. open mind, right? With the possibility. Yeah. yeah. And absolutely. so having curiosity and as a, as a part of your spirituality is just such a beautiful way to really look at the whole process. Um, so I just wanted to say that it's kind of off topic, but I just no, loved it I- so much. I love that. I and I, it's very true. And I think that is, I think I do owe that um, honestly to the sort of fundamentalist um, early years of my life because mm. it's it's very much when you're in that kind of a situation, it's like if you even consider anything else, you're going straight to hell. Mm. So um, I f- I really take advantage of the freedom that I have now to explore whatever I damn well please. Um, and it's, it, it makes it really exciting. And, uh, that's where the passion comes from, right? Because I, I feel like there's nothing holding me back anymore. And exactly as you said, like things like whether it's astrology or it's human design or, or whatever, like if you, or past lives, you know, like you don't need to know for sure if you believe in reincarnation, you don't need to, you can just dive in, read a little bit. And if you get one sentence out of what you've read, that's helpful to you, like bonus, you know? Mm, yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because a, a lot of, a lot of the way, and I really want to get into your book next, but a lot of the things that's been, I don't want to say like holding me back on my spiritual journey, but maybe just, you know, it's a lessons that I needed to learn is about, I don't know if it's limiting beliefs, but also closed-mindedness and regarding other parts mm-hmm. of spirituality. And what I've kind of had this really big up level of where I started to really consider things that I deemed not real, you know, like for example, like past lives is a really big one or that my children are here for a reason. You know, these are things that were, I just, I had such a rational brain. And even though I had a spiritual awakening and I opened up to all these possibilities, I was picking and choosing what I deemed to be spiritual. What could be, so I, my, my closed mindedness was, was hampering me. It was not allowing me to, you know, see other experiences. And then recently I had, I was just kind of having these just crazy moments of possibilities of things that if you would ask me, you know, a couple days prior were not a possibility for me in my spirituality. I just not believe them. And once you experience that freedom, then you realize that what you're, you're just, again, I don't want to say holding myself back, but the closed mindedness or the limiting beliefs about what, you know, what is possible 
really inhibits your growth. And you need to learn that lesson first, at least it was for me. And then all of a sudden these possibilities start opening up and then your spirituality becomes so much deeper because you're giving yourself possibilities. Like you said, it's so much more exciting Mm. because that means anything is possible. Okay. This teacher's teaching this. Let's get curious about this. Is this possible? Because I believe this other thing wasn't possible, but now I do. And it's it's your ego, right? It's your ego showing up to say, maybe you had a past experience with somebody who spoke to people from their past lives. And when in the Cody, then that witnessed that happened, thought this is foo-foo. Yeah. I looked down on that. Like, yeah, exactly. These people are wasting whatever it may be. So it brings that, it triggers you because you're like, I don't want to be that person. Right. And at the same time, it's also your ego because you can't understand it. And if you can't, if we can't understand something, we might be like, okay, I'm stupid. You know, I, I, you know, so it's like your fear and your ego, even to explore that facet, because you might not be able to understand it. And for me, that's been one of my favorite parts about your spirituality is seeing this, your brain kind of become willing and open and, and, you know, present. I love it. I love it so much. Um, We should get in the book. Yeah. Kyra. Tell us about. Sorry, we just went off on a tangent. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm just like I love it. I think that I just think that that's so beautiful and so you know important. And um, <clears throat> I don't not to sidetrack us again, but I you know I think that there's a lot of um, shadow, so to speak, that comes with the spirituality s- stuff. And um, I trained as a Reiki healer at the beginning of this year, and I had like so I had so much shadow about signing up for this thing. Um, about what it, what Reiki is and what does that look like? And, but, but I've just sort of made this commitment to follow my curiosity and follow my fascination and, um, and really go with my intuition. Something was guiding me, you know, towards this. And I allowed myself the space to be like, well, let's just check it out. Um, and it's been so helpful for me. So I think that it just, it's beautiful what you said, both of you. And and I, I think you're both just on such a good track. Thank you. It's, it's conversations like these that really just like light us up. Yeah. Because it just brings you on a whole. I don't even know. Like, I can't think of anything that I like talking about more. more than, yeah. Like spirituality. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> all the For different sure. layers and possibilities. It's and incredible. You just said something so interesting about how you had a lot of shadow around Reiki. Um, what does that, and maybe this goes into, you know, accessing your limiting beliefs, right? It, some of our, some of my shadows are so for lack of a better term, bright. Like I know them. I know where they lie. But where are you able to uncover ones that you might not be sure of? And I'm sure that maybe that goes into like accessing your limiting beliefs if 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 limiting beliefs and shadows can be one in the same. Yeah, I totally think that you're 100% right. Um, and that's a really good observation. I think they're kind of sister, sister concepts. Um, <clears throat> I think that the important thing, first of all, to realize about shadow and limiting beliefs is that, um, you know, they don't live in the conscious mind. They live in the subconscious. Um, there are things that we gathered up when we were little, like zero to seven years old, and we're primarily in a theta brainwave state. And so, you know, there's that famous cliche Einstein quote, you can't solve the problem from the same thinking that created it. Um, or something like that. <laughs> and uh, it's, it, you know, people will say like, I really just need to like figure out what my limiting beliefs are. I really just need to figure out what my shadow is. I f- need to figure out what's holding me back. If you are in a state of thinking that is figuring out, you're never going to find the answers that you need. So 
that's where opening up um, and sort of diving in deeper into the subconscious and and being curious is where you can find these answers. So, um, you know, I think that tools like meditation, obviously, in my book, I cover a number of different modalities to access that theta brainwave state Um, and for me one of the biggest things in my spiritual of figuring out and moving to a place of just asking questions just if there is a problem that you have that you need to solve quit trying to figure it out get quiet get into a theta brainwave state get into a flow state you know if you're not a meditator you could go for a jog or maybe you're a painter you know maybe you're a mm. musician whatever that flow state is pose the question ahead of time and be open to receiving an answer and and a huge part of that is being open minded enough to really go with and follow whatever leads you're given because sometimes the subconscious presents stuff that you're like what like That's, you know, especially when we're talking about early childhood stuff, because when we're little, we have very little, you know, we have a smaller understanding of the nuances of adult life. And um, it's surprising sometimes to learn like, oh, wow, you know, for me, a huge chunk of I have a big limiting belief around I am never chosen. No one sees me. And when I really got into that, I was like, there was that costume contest in grade one. (laughs) You know, where like I wasn't chosen and I was positive that I would be chosen. And there's part of you that goes like, that's the dumbest shit. Leave that behind. Um, But that's where the jewels are, right? Because everything is just a little clue, like breadcrumbs, as we were saying earlier, um, to follow, you know, along the path. And so that's not where I initially picked up the limiting belief. But in examining it and getting into my child brain and how I picked that up in that moment, how I, um, how I felt in the moment of the costume contest gave me really excellent data that I could then explore further and say, well, was was there an earlier time where I experienced something like this? And that's how you eventually trace it back. Mm. And so what would it be? So I know you mentioned a little bit about that, that, theta and, you know, that type of brainwaves. And so what would be, could you give some examples and about like, maybe that you give in your book about how you would reprogram it then? What would be some steps that you would do to actually, I guess, heal from it or release it? Yeah, absolutely. So release is a really key um, word there. I think that emotional release um, is an aspect of healing that in my opinion is not talked about enough. So we need to understand what the problem is. We need to pose the question, you know, the, the problem being um, if you, as we've spoken about, everyone has limiting beliefs, right? So your limiting beliefs are currently affecting you, period. That's a fact. So you can choose to examine them further and deal with them and be able to push through your current paradigm and experience everything that you want in this life. Um, but you have to take that first step to really look deep. So then once you make the decision, you can get curious, you get into that theta brainwave state that I, as I mentioned in the book, I talk about a lot of different ways to get there, figure out exactly what the limiting beliefs are. You know, sometimes they're different than what you, you might think the limiting belief is one thing and you get in there and peel back a couple layers of the onion and and realize that it's really another that's at the root. Um, And then the release of the emotion around the belief is key because you have been walking around for, you know, likely decades 
with all kinds of feelings about what this means for you. You know, for me, I'm, I'm walking around thinking no one sees me. I'm never chosen. No one sees me. I'm never chosen. That's, that's hurtful, you know? Um, and so in a lot of what I talk about is reparenting and inner child work, um, and just sitting with your younger self and allowing them the space to feel the pain and to release it in any way that they need to. So that might be crying. That might be, you know, for me, it's always my spiritual practice is like ugly crying in the bathtub. (laughs) It's like like the bit, the most, (laughs) the best thing that I do. Um, you know, for other people, it might be screaming really loud. It might be punching a pillow. Sometimes, you know, it's things like yawning or um, feeling suddenly itchy. Um, You need to find a way to release that emotion. And you may need to do these exercises a few times, depending on how deeply ingrained the belief is. Um, And then once you sort of release the emotion, then you can look at reparenting. So maybe going back in and checking in on uh, creating a different scenario in your mind. How would this have gone if this was a healthy approach? Once you've done all of that work and you feel the emotional charge has been released around the belief, only then should you start using things like affirmations and and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you'll just be saying like, I'm always chosen a hundred times and like nothing will happen. Right. From it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think you're totally right. Like the, the reprogramming part, I think is not avoided, but it isn't talked about as much as accessing them and the, the end result, which is, you know, like you said, affirmations or whatnot, because it's kind of the scariest part maybe because it's so, it, it takes so much power in ourselves and a lot of people might not feel they have that power. Yeah. Right. And so, which in itself would be a limiting belief, but so, you know, it's almost like when people are afraid to manifest because they don't want to not manifest it and then not believe that it works, you know? And Mm -hmm. so it's one of those things that, yeah, it, it can take time and, you know, trial and error and doing it over and over again. But I agree with you. It's not that talked about. And I remember, uh, I did a reparenting in to be magnetic. And I mean, that shit broke me open in a matter Mm. of five minutes. And so it's just so crazy. The power that our mind has um, when we're, we're willing and, and curious and ready to do the work. It's just, I mean, it's just crazy. And there's so much. Well, and it's sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say it's, I I think it's the part like, cause I, when I hear this, talking about, I realize, and I know that there's still a lot of reparenting that I would need to do. And the bit it honestly is the part that scares me mm-hmm. is the confrontation of the part mm-hmm. that scares me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I sit there and I think about like, of course, that's where the healing and the freedom is, but it is true. It's like a limiting belief about that. You're thinking, I don't know, think I could do that, mm-hmm. but really you can, of course, because on the other side and you can, you just can do it on the other side is where the healing occurs, but it is just an interesting thing to think about. Cause with my limiting beliefs, like the concept is what figuring out the concept is what laid, uh, made me have a spiritual awakening. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I, when, when I figured that out, I was just like, Oh, I just know limiting beliefs, but they don't just obviously like Kyra saying, they don't, they don't just disappear yeah. from a few affirmations. Right. And so that's where the struggle has come back for me or the, the growth has come back realizing that, that, that moment happened, but all of that deep subconscious embedded belief, self-limiting beliefs and all that stuff is still yeah. hasn't gone anywhere. Yeah. And to reprogram it, yeah. which is like, we've talked about the scariest part. So, we have a question for you. What is HSP? 
highly sensitive people. Oh, how did you know that? Because I just know. Oh, I pointed at it and you said, <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about other things oh, on here. <laughs> I pointed at it and he kind of gave me like, I, a, I don't about, know. I thought you were talking about topics. Oh, <laughs> okay. So, so Melissa has a question for you. <laughs> so we don't have any more questions. So highly sensitive people lose trust in ourselves. And I think this is a really cool topic. And, you know, I know we're getting towards the end of the conversation, but we have a very sensitive son. And I would say Mm. that Cody himself is a highly sensitive person. So the, why highly sensitive people lose trust in themselves and how to gain it back. I I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so highly sensitive people, uh, you know, obviously a big part of it is just like having big feelings and and feeling things very strongly. Um, But there's, it's a set of traits um, associated to how uh, people's brains are are built and how we take in information. So highly sensitive people just naturally take in a greater amount of stimuli than um, sort of a neurotypical brain. So we are the children who, um, you know, things are really loud for us or things are really bright for us or we're very particular about how our clothing feels we can walk into a room and really sense the vibe where other people might not pick it up so um, it's a diverse set of sort of um, traits that go along with being a highly sensitive person and what tends to happen I believe it's twofold um, the highly sensitive child is born into a family and either one, either the caregivers just don't understand the high sensitivity and so um, wind up saying a lot of things like, why are you freaking out? Like right into the water. Um, and this is where the caregivers are highly sensitive people themselves, but their um, sort of understanding of their high sensitivity has been corrupted. And so the child just triggers the shit out of them because they have not healed their own relationship with their sensitivity. And so everything that the child does is a representation of what their soul, you know, feels and wants, but that they've repressed. Either way, you know, as children, our sensations, our physical sensations and our emotions are how we interpret reality. Um, And so when our caregivers are saying, it's nothing, why are you freaking out? Jump in the pool. Mm -hmm. We learn well, I can't trust myself to interpret reality. My sensors are way off. And so we lose trust in ourselves at a very early age. And it's dangerous because we start to then look externally for people to tell us what reality is. And so if we are in an environment with loving, caring people, you know, not it's still not great to be looking externally for reality, but okay, hopefully they're a logical person. Um, but what ultimately winds up happening is a lot of us wind up in abusive, you know, relationships later on in life or um, with kind of off the chart, volatile people. And we're just looking to them for reality, right? So we've kind of lost touch with our own emotions and instincts. It's, it's I mean, you're just like speaking my language. Truth you know, bomb. Yeah. Truth bomb. Which, which, so I don't necessarily for myself, what I, contribute the most that something that I've noticed throughout my life is people's energy and energy of rooms and people like I can, I can pick up on 
very subtle nuances that I didn't even realize. I I thought everyone else could do it. (laughs) I just wouldn't think anybody else was saying anything. And so it's like, I remember there would be experience like times with Melissa when we first start dating and stuff. And she would, I would be able to pick up on Mm -hmm. things that she had no idea how I was picking up on it. And, and it's always been, it's weird because I've always had like these I've always been able to sense energy in rooms right when I walk into them. I've always been able to feel it. It's like, you know, the energy speaks to me before anybody else does. But it was so interesting that I didn't think didn't know of that <laughs> beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, and same. Like when I first um, read, there's a book called The Highly Sensitive Person by Elaine Aaron. And my mind was just blown because I I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly who I am. Like, I'm not crazy. This is, well, maybe I'm a little crazy, but I'm not. We all are, right? (laughs) Definitely. Well, it's it's interesting too. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, what I mean, what you're chatting about, what you brought up with children is my, our, our six-year-old is, is definitely an HSP. Like, I mean, so hard. And I do get triggered by him. So really, hard. I can get very, very triggered by. I mean, a lot you of said things. triggers the shit out of people, and Cody's like me. Yeah, like, <laughs> like you know, he's just like the sweetest kid. But it's like I get so triggered by some of the things because it's. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I know I see myself in him so much, mm-hmm. and it is something where I'm trying to come to a place where you know I, obviously goes without saying how much I love him, but coming to a place of more compassion with, with some of his circumstances, because I do find myself and it's, I mean, I know for Melissa, it's clear as day that mm-hmm. it's, I'm being triggered, mm-hmm. but it's me coming to understand like where the trigger is coming from. And sometimes it, yet I haven't been able to put in the work as to why I'm being so triggered. I mean, I think Kyra said it's because you haven't, he, you haven't, what did healed, you say? Yeah. Healed the sensitive child in you. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, <laughs> well, and so, you know, so, okay. So two things, um, first of all, to go back to the, the limiting beliefs process. And I said, I think that release is a really, you know, overlooked part of this process. Like I can't emphasize that enough in healing these things. Um, really the first thing that I would recommend in that regard is doing the work to get in inside and heal that through releasing the energy that you have about being, you know, abandoned or, or rejected um, because of the sensitivity, right? And whether that's a cry or that's a scream or that's, um, it's the release of the emotion that's so important. And I think we get caught up in the, as you said, it can be so overwhelming, these things. Like, like, oh, how am I going to heal this thing? I got to figure out what my belief is around it. And I got to blah, blah, blah. If all that you do is look at this as a physical process, like you have a poison in you that needs to be drained. So just go in and drain it. You know, it, we don't need to overcomplicate this. So um, to heal that uh, triggering around the sensitivity would be to release the sadness or the hurt that you have around that from, from early childhood. And the second thing that's important to point out is that I think that it's much harder for highly sensitive men, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, because women are, you know, women, this is like the sole bonus of being a woman in this society, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that we, you know, people, it's okay for women to cry and to be sensitive and to be like, quote unquote, high maintenance. And like, it's sort of a feather in our cap in a way. Um, and for men, it's not that way. And so there's a lot of shame around it. And shame is just such a a, a horrific thing to be carrying around. And I mean, all of us 
habit, right? That was one of the biggest things that I've had to, to deal with is releasing shame. Um, but so all that to say, it's it's not easy, I think, being a highly sensitive male. And it's wonderful, though, that you guys are so evolved and conscious and supportive of your son so that he doesn't wind up with that same wound. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something we definitely... I, I mean, and when you said toxic relationships, like that's my fear for Watson and this is, you know, future tripping. So I try not to, but I, I'm like, I just don't want you to end up with uh, another human who just takes advantage and is toxic. And because that's the type of things that we, we hold on to. And like you said, and it makes so much sense. It's because you're looking for somebody to validate, validate yeah. what it is because mm. you don't know, because you don't trust yourself. And I mean, that's just beautiful. And it gives us such this is such a great, great part of doing this podcast as we learn so many tools and it gives me such a great thing to take back to my relationship with my son is Same. to have him trust his decisions. So when I say, why is it so hard? Like, why are you being so negative? Just, he just needs to trust his own little instincts and it needs to be okay. And I think that that's such a huge thing for me to learn. So I just appreciate this conversation so much. Um, yeah, well, and I, it's my daughter is a highly sensitive person as well, and she's twelve, and so we've been we've dealt with this throughout her, you know, early childhood. And um, not that you're asking for advice on this, no, please, but, yeah. Um, but the biggest thing is just exactly what you said: looking for opportunities to allow them to navigate based on their instincts. And there have been a couple of times recently, really, I wish I could remember the exact details, but I can't at this moment. But um, where she's had an instinct about like. Um, I don't want to do this thing. Or I, I had suggested to her, why don't you make a little gift for your little nephew? And we can, you know, and she didn't want to make the gift. She was like, oh, I don't feel like making it right now. And I was like, okay, cool. For whatever reason, you don't feel like making it. That's fine. And then it turned out that our visit with them fell through. And so mm. the time kind of would have been wasted, right? It's like, how did you know that? But I believe personally that she's so sensitive that somewhere in there, she had an instinct that this it wasn't you know, going to happen wasn't yeah. The correct yeah and so they're just little things like that where you have an opportunity to go mm, this is a safe decision for you to make cool make it see what That's happens a trip. you know yeah and like she maybe she wasn't even aware of that it was going to fall through right but she just for whatever reason it was inside of her and however it showed up she didn't want to make the gift whether she didn't feel like it or you know but it was just that sensitivity inside of her that's crazy that's crazy this has been so beautiful um the last topic we just want to touch on real quick before we close is self-empathy is the key to changing the world. I love that so much. Oh, yeah. I really, you know, it just goes back to that self-loathing piece. I think that um, we're dealing with a world where billions of people hate themselves and people may not want to admit that that's the case, but that's a fact, right? If any time that someone is hateful externally. You know, we've seen so much divisiveness and so much ugliness happening right now in the world and us against them. That all stems from internal stuff, right? Anytime that you meet someone who truly loves themselves, they're naturally kind to everyone else, right? Um, So we have these huge macro problems in the world, climate change and income inequality and um, racial injustices and homophobia, you know, and it it gets overwhelming because it's like, oh my gosh, I'm just one person. Like, how do I fix this? But I think that's the thing. These macro problems are solved at a micro level. If we get enough people to start healing themselves and starting there, 
we will wind up with a kinder, more just world. Mm. We were just yeah. having that conversation last night. We literally last were night. having it last night. Just yeah. have that conversation because <laughs> no, you're right. It feels it's true. It does, feel, and that's because that's what I was talking with Melissa last night. Is you know, it's just a, at this time last year, I went through a really dark time because of all the things that were going on in the world, you know, the racial injustice, the black lives matter movement. I was really near and dear to my heart. And I just felt, you know, so tore up us politics. I was feeling so tore up about Mm -hmm. that stuff. And, and Mm -hmm. I really let that take me to some places, even in my spirituality where it just really hampered what, who I even was to the world, you know, and, and here we are again, a year later, and at any given time, obviously there's any number of horrible, you know, crises and and injustices going on in the world. But lately in America, it's, there's been, you know, the war in Afghanistan, and then there's been the, the abortion ban in Texas and, you know, things that would generally get me very, um, down and don't get me wrong. Of course, you know, I, I will advocate for things that I believe, but at the same point, I do understand now that me getting down in the dumps and wallowing in it is not going to be the answer to solving any problems. It is going to be, like you said, on a micro level of the people who are going to still rise up during these terrible times and spread, you know, messages of, of, of hope and, 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 and connecting with other people so that they have hope as well. And that's what been one of the biggest growths for me is, is understanding that, you know, living in that pain, feeling like I need to experience the pain that other people are experiencing so that I can, you know, feel with them. Yeah. You can do that to a sense, but if you allow yourself to get trapped and lost in that, then you're not really doing anything to help the situation at all anyways. Yeah. Well, and I, you're so right. And I think for highly sensitive people as well, like you have to understand it's built into us to feel the thing, you know, like we don't need to work on feeling the thing we know, you know, I knew a couple weeks before the Afghanistan, you know, eruption. And I not, I'm not suggesting that I'm like psychic or whatever, but I just, I, we tend to feel things like suddenly anxious. All my girlfriends were texting me like, I feel really anxious right now. And I don't know why. And like, Mm. so to say that we need to really dive into that and feel the pain, we don't need to do any more work in that regard because we're, we're already there. Right. The thing that we need to as highly sensitive people is that our we are noticers we are and so if we allow care and to recognize when we need a break and um to give grant ourselves some kindness and compassion we can go back to it and observe the dynamics that are happening and then particularly for you guys you know your podcasters you're creating social media content you're going to be that much more equipped to notice the dynamics of what's taking place and communicate that into the world in a way that's beneficial for people to understand what's happening right because not everybody has that capacity right right mm. Oh, this is this I can I can so talk good. to you for for hours, you're but so, <laughs> and I, I mean I don't even know, but you're just so smart and you're such you're, a smart lady. You know, <laughs> you just, it's just the way you present it and the way you speak, and I can 100 percent tell that you're a writer just by the way you speak because you you speak. It's just so clear, and you're you, I can just tell the research that you've done, and, and I'm just so 
grateful for this interview and for this opportunity. I'm so excited for you too. Yeah, and I, and I am so excited, so excited for, for you. you. Like to, things are you know, things are just going to take off for yeah, you. Yeah, and the the changes that you're already making that you're continue to make and I just I love being able to witness that journey for you. Um and before we that close so out, kind. well, I I mean it from the bottom of my heart. First before we ask the question, uh-huh. I just want to can you just tell the listeners uh you know what the name of your, the title of your book is, where they can find it. And just any of the uh, handles that you want to share before we ask you the last question. Yeah, absolutely. And just thank you again for your kind words. That means so, so much to me. And um, yeah, as you mentioned at the beginning, like same, when I first connected with you guys, I just felt like, oh, these are kindred spirits. So it's, it's just nice to have that proven, you know? Yeah, Um, for sure. So yeah, my book is called The Dictionary of Limiting Beliefs, Transforming Your Inner Narrative to Manifest a Wholehearted Life. Um, It is a reference manual, hence why it's called The Dictionary. So there's a beginning part that tells you about the modalities, and then you can go through and find specific limiting beliefs um, that are meaningful to you and learn how to reprogram those. So you can go to kyraevans.com slash dictionary to purchase the book. Um, you can also book sessions with me one-on-one or corporate sessions through my website. And then I deliver pretty much daily content on Instagram at Kyra underscore Evans underscore writer. And also everyone needs to be on the lookout. We are going to be partnering up for a giveaway on her book. So watch our Instagrams to get more information on that. We're all very excited to get Mm. that book into someone's hands. Absolutely. Or ebook. Is it ebook or it's an ebook, right? It's an ebook. Yeah. It's just a PDF. So you'll get so the you can... get that Kindle ebook in your hands. Yeah. <laughs> you can open it in the books app. Yep. Um, so yeah, the last question that we always go back. I mean, is there anything else that you feel like we haven't touched on or or any other places you'd like to speak? No, this was fantastic. You guys Wasn't are just it? wonderful to chat with. It's you been, too. It's been so great. Um, but we always end the show by asking if you could go back and tell yourself or anyone who's struggling something, what would that be? Yeah. So um, I always think back to the same time in my life um, when somebody asked something like this, when my dad was like my absolute best friend and to this day, probably the only person who I feel has really fully understood me. And he passed away six days before my daughter was born. Mm. And she wound up being a super colicky baby and not sleeping. And um, so I was like a brand new mom, no sleep and just dealing with this crushing grief. And um, because I am like the strong one and the together one and the smart one, everyone in my family was kind of like, Kyra will figure it out. (laughs) Mm. And so I was just, I was living away from family and friends across the country and, and very much alone and just kind of went, I guess I got to figure it out. And I muscled through. And I really wish that I could go back to that time and just say to myself, like, you are doing an awesome job staying strong and muscling through, but you have to allow yourself the space to fall apart sometimes as well. I think that that's, you know, it's underrated. People really praise strength, but that going back to that release that I was talking about, um, I think I could have avoided a lot of later heartache had I just really processed what was happening at the time. And that's what I would say to anyone else as well. If you're going through something really horrific right now, you know, I understand you have responsibilities, but you don't need to be the strong one all the time. Give yourself the space to feel what you're going through. To process. Yeah, it's beautiful. So beautiful. Well, thank you so much for taking your time out of uh, your day day. or night, whatever it is. (laughs) there. Um, Thank you. We just appreciate this so much and we will be connecting 
with you. And, and yeah, like I said, we're just so excited to continue to watch you. Not creepily. Yeah. Well, I was, well we're going to go to your cabin. We're going to look in the woods. We're going to. Speaking of murder. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Like total horror stories stare at you. <laughs> so no, look out for that. <laughs> thank you so yeah, much, thank Kyra. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Oh, thank you. Take care. We'll you chat too. Soon. Bye. Bye.